Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 9, 10 and 11 of Insurgent. Where we left off, we well, we escaped Amity and then we pretty much assumed that Marcus died, Peter died. No one believes that they actually died because guess what characters in these books? They're not dead when you think they're dead because we stumble upon Edward who was that guy that got the butter knife to the eye and he's alive and thriving in Factionless. And so he says, all right, well, let's all go back to the Factionless compound. And Triss is like, oh my God, Factionless people know how to gather. And it's like, yeah, they're people, Triss. They know how to gather. And then we go there and there's Four's mum, who we all thought was dead. But guess what? She's not dead. So just twist after twist. So we start chapter nine and she says they're sitting around a fire in a large circle and the fire is heating these cans of like soup and then they're passing out spoons and forks, then passing the cans around so everyone can have a bite of everything. So they're passing around a can of soup. Why do they need forks? I'm unclear. I would have, I would have thought a fork would be useless up against a can of soup, but she's not thinking about that because she has a spoon and she's like, oh, there's probably a lot of diseases going around because we're sharing a can of soup. It does seem like a bizarre way to organize a meal, because she says Edward shovels several noodles and a piece of carrot into his mouth and then passes the can to the next woman on his left. And I'm thinking, okay, several noodles and a piece of carrot, he's probably taken all the best bits. Because how many times have you ordered like a pad thai or a satay from a restaurant and it comes with like two pieces of broccoli and you're like, what, two pieces of broccoli? Okay, I guess I'm on rations. So what if, what if they're passing around a pad thai and someone snakes all the broccoli and then it gets passed to you and you're like, just got the pad? Or you're stuck with those horrible little baby corns? Oh, no one ever wants a baby corn. Yuck. There is something so gross about a baby corn. Ugh. So who's policing the passing around of the can? I don't know. But I think someone needs to because I think Edward just stole all the good bits. And he's passed it to the poor woman on his left who's probably like, oh, okay, well, there goes all the carrot. I don't know. It doesn't seem like the best way to organize a meal plan. And so they're talking to Edward and Edward's like, oh, you guys were abnegation, right? And Caleb's your brother. So you ditched your family to become dauntless. And he's quizzing her like he's never met her. They went to school together. Like, I know there must be lots of kids, but they were all at the same choosing ceremony. And Veronica was sort of giving me the impression that it's really rare for someone to jump factions. If I was at that choosing ceremony, I would have taken note of who's going off with who. 
And like you were in Dauntless with Triss and she was wearing gray clothes for that whole first day and she jumped into the net and everyone called a stiff. Like you were there for all of that, but I don't think he knows. I don't think he took much notice. And apparently he was from Erudite first, not from Kanda. And she says she knew this because I, I, I guess Triss notices things and Edward doesn't. I, I, I can't explain it. And they're talking to this woman called Therese and she went to Erudite, but she failed. She didn't pass the initiation because she wasn't smart enough. So apparently at Erudite, you have to pass an intelligence test <laughs> and she didn't get high enough marks. So they said, well, you're too dumb for us. And they kicked her out. <laughs> brutal, brutal. Would rather do that than all of the simulations and the fear landscapes and paintball and knife throwing that they had to do at Dauntless. I'd much rather take a pop quiz. Therese also tells us that most of the factionless are from Dauntless. Yeah, obviously because they cut so many people and so many people dropped out because the initiation was a nightmare. And she says they have very few abnegation because no one really ever fails abnegation initiation. And she's like, yeah, I guess I shouldn't be surprised about the Dauntless thing. And Therese says, well, yeah, you've got one of the worst initiations and there's that whole old age thing. And she's like, what was that old age thing? What What was that? And Tobias says, once the Dauntless reach a certain level of physical deterioration, they are asked to leave in one way or another. Another thing Triss doesn't know, which she should know. How did this not come up in faction history? She did a whole class for 16 years called Faction History and it it never came up. Therese knows about it and she failed Erudite, so she's not the sharpest tool in the shed. So how does Therese know something and you don't, even though you were Dauntless? For a couple of months, at least, you were going through the initiation and it never came up. And then there's some tension between Edward and Tobias because Edward's like, ugh, I'd rather be factionless than Dauntless anyway. Because the implication is that the old Dauntless kill themselves so that they're not (laughs) Dauntless. Oh gosh, dark. And Edward brings up the, the knife attack and Tobias says, I seem to recall hearing rumors that you provoked the attack. And Triss goes to defend him, but then she sees Edward smirking and she's like, huh, maybe I don't know everything about what happened during initiation. Clearly, clearly Triss. And then Tobias says, well, if it makes you feel any better, Peter got shot in the arm from a foot away during the simulation attack. And Edward does feel better. And Triss is like, well, it was little old me that did the shooting. And Edward loves her for that. He's like, good job, babe. And so they ask Edward what he knows about what's happening with Dauntless. I don't know why they just assume Edward knows everything, but apparently he does. He says, Dauntless is split in half. Half are at the Erudite headquarters, half are at the Kanda headquarters. What's left of Abnegation is with Factionless. Nothing much else has happened yet, except for whatever happened to you guys. So basically half of the Dauntless are traitors, half aren't traitors. So that's a good average. Triss is relieved (laughs) by that percentage. I wouldn't be. I'd be hoping for more of a 70-30 or even a 60-40 at a pinch, but she said 50-50, I'll live with that. And then she says, I eat spoonful after spoonful until my stomach is full. No, hand the soup around, Triss. Can't just keep eating. Obviously there's not enough for one can per person, hence the passing it around. I think she's hogging all the soup. So then they go to like a little corner with some blankets and they go to sleep. But before they do that, she sees Tobias bend over to tie up his shoelaces or take his shoe off or some bullshit like that. And his shirt rides up his back and she sees like the tattoo on his back. And I guess she gets all turned on. 
You know, it is sexy when someone's shirt does ride up. It, uh, it's kind of hot. But she's in a bit of a precarious situation, so I, I don't know why she's getting so turned on by the hint of lower back that he's flashing. But she says, I trust the dwindling fire to disguise us as I run my hand up his back, touching each tattoo without seeing it. Poor people all around them are trying to sleep, but whatever. And then she says, with my other hand, I find the patch of fire tattooed over his rib cage. H- how does she know? Are these tattoos braille? She's describing each of the tattoos she's running her hands over, but she said she can't see it. So, oh, I guess they're braille. And he says, oh, I wish we were alone. And she says, I almost always wish that. And then it trails off. We have a paragraph break. So I don't know if they boned. I'm going to assume they did a secret hushed boning. And then she tells us that she drifts off to sleep. But then she wakes up in the middle of the night and she hears voices. And they're Evelyn's and Tobias. So that's Tobias's mum. And she can hear them a few feet away from her, but she pretends to still be asleep so that she can eavesdrop. Classic Triss. So Tobias is asking her what's going on, like what's really happening with the factionless. And she says, I see Evelyn's shadow on the wall flickering with the fire. She is lean and strong, just like Tobias. Her fingers twist into her hair as she speaks. She's getting all that from a shadow. She can tell someone's lean and strong from their shadow. And she can even see that the fingers are twisting in her hair. So they're performing shadow puppets for Tris because she may as well be looking at the real deal with that detail. So Evelyn says, your friend was correct in thinking that the map and the chart listed all of our safe houses. He was wrong about the population counts. Sort of. The numbers don't document all the factionless, only certain ones. And I'll bet you can guess which ones those are. And he says, I'm not in the mood for guessing. And she says, well, they're, they're the divergent. We're documenting the divergent. What? How many people are divergent? How many people? It seems like a lot. Because as I recall, we caught a glance at that map and Caleb, smart Caleb, assumed that was a population count of factionless. So that must be a sizable number, right? But no, it's, it's divergence. There must be. So many of them. So I don't know why Triss is special. Don't know why she's the chosen one. And Four's like, well, how do you know who Divergent are? Worst kept secret ever. So Evelyn says before the simulation attack, part of the abnegation aid effort involved testing the factionless for a certain genetic anomaly. So the abnegation, selfless, wouldn't hurt a fly abnegation. We're running human trials on the factionless. Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. And so sometimes they had to re-administer the aptitude test. Sometimes it was more complicated than that. But they suspected that the factionless might have the highest divergent population of any group in the city. What? And he says, I don't understand why. And she's like, well, obviously those who can't confine themselves to a particular way of thinking would be most likely to leave a faction or fail its initiation, right? And that was a direct quote. She was like, obviously, if my long lost son returned to me after I'd faked my death and abandoned him, I'd maybe be a little bit less sarcastic, but that's just me. And he says, well, why do you care how many divergent there are? And she says, the erudite are looking for manpower. They found it temporarily in Dauntless, Now they'll be looking for more and the factionless are the obvious place unless they figure out that they've got more divergent than any other group. Oh God, is anyone tracking that? Because, oh my goodness. 
But in case they don't know about all the Divergent and the Factionless, she wants to know how many people they've got because it'll be important to know how many people are resistant to simulations. Ugh, this book, plot off the rails. And Tobias says, well, why were the abnegation so concerned with finding the Divergent? I suppose they weren't helping the Erudite. And she says, of course not, but I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. She says the abnegation were reluctant to provide information that only serves to relieve curiosity. Oh God, fuck off abnegation. All well and good to do human trials, but oh, to give information. Oh no, heaven forbid. And he says, they told us as much as they believed we should know. She's acting like she was never abnegation. She was in abnegation for however long, enough to raise a kid. And now she's factionless. She's like, oh, I didn't know a thing. And she says, well, perhaps you should ask your father. He was the one who told me about you. And he's like, well, what about me? And she says that you're divergent. Ah, worst kept secret in the world. She says, Marcus was always watching you, noting your behavior. He was very attentive to you. She's, She's a bit obtuse, that Evelyn, isn't she? I don't know if I'd be talking about someone's abuser like that. And while we're on the subject of Marcus, she does start a sentence as if she were about to apologize, but she doesn't get the chance because Tobias says, don't you dare try to apologize. She might not have even been trying to apologize. She, she really only got two words out. She said, I wish, and he cut her off. He's like, now's not the time for patching up grievances. I want more info. And so he asks, why are the factionless uniting? What do you intend to do? And she says, well, we want to usurp Erudite, you big idiot. Once we get rid of them, there's not much stopping us from controlling the government ourselves. Here we go. Here we go. The faction system fucked up. It's just like a game of Survivor. You know, in Survivor, you get to the merge and all the people on the bottom, they team up and take down the people that are on the top of the Alliance. And so you think you're sitting pretty in your Alliance, knocking off people one by one, but then those people you're about to knock off, they come and get you first. And I feel like that's what's happening. The factionless are at the bottom of the Alliance and they're flipping it. And now they're gonna be on the top of the tribe. It always happens. And they always say, never tell someone they're on the bottom because then they're going to make moves against you. And well, guess what? The factionless knew they were on the bottom and they got sick of it. There's probably like an allusion to actual real life geopolitical history I could have made, but I don't know why my mind went straight to Survivor first. (laughs) And Four's like, no way, babe. Overthrowing one corrupt government and insisting some kind of factionless tyranny, not a chance. And she says, we don't want to be tyrants. We want to establish a new society, one without factions. Yet she still wants to be at the top of that new society. She's not reinforcing that, but I think we all know that's what she meant. And Triss's mouth goes dry. She says, no factions, a world in which no one knows who they are or where they fit. I can't even fathom it. I imagine only chaos and isolation. Shut up, Triss chaos and isolation. You just learned that the factionless knew how to group up and gather and share a can of soup. It doesn't seem like chaos. Well, uh, the handing around of forks to share a can of soup was chaotic, but in general, doesn't seem that chaotic. And Tobias says, well, how are you going to usurp Erudite? And she says, I imagine it will involve a high level of destruction. So she's about ready to blow shit up. And I love that. 
And she says, we'll need Dauntless's help. They have the weapons and the combat experience. You could bridge the gap between us and them. And he's like, uh, do you really think I'm that important to Dauntless? Because I'm not. And she says, well, why don't you become important? Find a way if you want to think about it. I don't think he's going to just be led into Dauntless. I, I feel like I don't know if he's that popular there anymore after the whole simulation attack crap. And then Evelyn's like, well, think about it. And so then she pulls back her curly hair and ties it in a knot. I don't know if Triss is still interpreting that through the shadows, but that's what she's doing. So then Four goes to lie down next to her and she doesn't know if she should say anything about the fact that she eavesdropped on that whole entire conversation and she's thinking about it, but then he falls asleep. And that's the end of the chapter. And so chapter 10, it's the next morning. She's feeling a bit stiff from that shitty sleep and she stinks. And she's like, I better go have a shower. So she goes down to the bathroom and it seems like there's no shower, just a bunch of sinks. And there's a group of half naked women standing around at the sink, just splashing themselves, giving themselves the old whore bath. So Tris starts splashing herself with some water and then Susan's there. And Susan has some towels and she's like, here, why don't I hold up these towels while you get naked and splash yourself down? And so they do. Tris gets naked. She starts bathing and Susan's making small talk because she has to, because her faction dictates that they must make small talk, blah, blah, blah. And Susan pretty much says that there's a large group of abnegation refugees in a factionless safe house and she's going to go and join them unless Tris needs her help. And Tris is like, babe, I don't need your help. Go with God. And so then it's Susan's turn to bathe. So Tris holds up the towels and they make more small talk. And Tris says, never thought we'd be in this situation together. Bathing from the sink of an abandoned building on the run from the erudite. And Susan says, yeah, I thought we would live near each other, go to social events, have our kids walk to the bus stop together. And Tris bites her lip and she says, it's my fault, of course, that that was never a possibility because I chose another faction. Yeah. Also, even if you did pick abnegation, there was that whole massacre. I don't know if you should really take on board all of the blame for that future never eventuating because yeah, there was a massacre. I know the caption of Divergent was one choice can define you, but you know what? One choice can't dictate whether or not a massacre occurs. You don't have that power just from picking Dauntless. God, she's self-centered sometimes. So they leave the bathroom and then she sees some of the factionless walking around with buckets of paint and paintbrushes and they're leaving the building. And Evelyn, she pops out of nowhere and she says, they're going to write a message to the other safe houses on one of the billboards, codes formed out of personal information, so-and-so's favorite color, someone else's childhood pet. So they're putting these giant codes on billboards in paint and she thinks it can't be tracked because it's personal information. But like, do do you think no one would notice giant painted letters on billboards? Like, I, I kind of feel like someone would notice that. Someone should have noticed that Janine should have had eyes on those billboards and been like, hey, wait a tick. Where did the factionless get some paint from? Who's who's painting over all our billboards? Like, surely that would have raised an alarm, but no. And Tris thinks like, why is she telling me this unless she's proud of it? And she says, oh, this was your idea, was it? And she's like, yeah, it was. I was erudite before I was abnegation. 
Okay, so she's trying to explain away having a smart idea because she was born into Erudite. But the whole fact that you left Erudite to go into abnegation, doesn't that mean that you weren't apt to be smart? But I'm guessing she's probably divergent too. She's probably half Erudite, half abnegation, half who gives a shit because everyone's divergent. And Triss is like, well, guess she couldn't keep up with the life of academia then. And she says, yeah, something like that. I imagine your father left for the same reason. And she's like, record scratch. She's like, Ex- excuse me? Exqueeze? What, what was that? And Evelyn's like, oh, sorry. Didn't you know? I'm sorry. I forgot that faction members rarely discuss their old factions. Uh, that's not the case either. All last book, everyone was talking about their old factions. Fucking Christina. She couldn't stop herself from bringing up Candor. She couldn't stop herself. And who was the other guy that read the books? He was like, oh, I grew up in Erudite, so I know maps and shit. Oh, he was insufferable. They were all talking about their old factions. Even Stiff Triss was talking about abnegation all the fucking time. And this whole chapter, all we've gotten is a brief personal history of everyone's faction and they're transferring. Oh, no, no, it's taboo to talk about faction. Oh, apparently not, Evelyn. But the point of that bit of dialogue is that her dad was Erudite. Just like her mum also transferred to abnegation. Just like Evelyn transferred. Just like Four transferred. Just like Triss transferred. Just like Caleb transferred. Everyone fucking transfers. And yet whenever it happens, oh, it's this big deal. Oh, it's a big deal. Oh, the consistency in this series is so out of whack. So long story short, her dad was born an erudite. His parents were friends with Janine's parents before they died. And him and Janine used to play together as children. And Evelyn used to watch that happen. Woohoo! That's a new little tidbit. And she's thinking, I can't be true. And then she's like, well, he never did bring up where he was raised or his family or his childhood. And she's like, mm, I, guess, I guess, I guess it is possible after all. And she thinks that maybe his hatred of Erudite was so vehement that it must have been personal. And Evelyn's like, oh, sorry, didn't mean to reopen closing wounds. And she says, yes, you did. And Evelyn's like, what, what, huh? And she says, listen carefully, Evelyn. I'm not stupid. I can see that you're trying to use him and I'll tell him so if he hasn't figured it out already. And so Evelyn snaps back and says, my dear girl, I am his family. I am permanent. You are only temporary. Well, no, he thought you were dead for like 10 years. I I think he he grieved and buried you. So, ah. I don't know if you are that permanent, Evelyn. And Triss snaps back as well. And she says, yeah, his mum abandoned him and his dad beat him up. How could his loyalty not be with his blood? With a family like that? And she walks away. On first glance, I'm like, yeah, you tell her, Triss, but also not your story to tell about the whole abuse thing. I don't know if you should have revealed that it was sort of unspoken between Evelyn and Tobias in that interaction last night. I don't know if Tobias would appreciate it. I I would have just cleared it with him first, but that's just me. Other than that, good clap back. So she walks away and she sits down next to Caleb and Susan who are passing around a jar of peanut butter. See, it it seems like there's food aplenty, but they're just passing it around and using their fingers in the peanut butter. I know you have forks. I know you have spoons. I don't know why, I don't know why you're just passing around and fingering a jar of peanut butter. And she says, I scoop some of the peanut butter out with my fingers and eat it. She was freaked out about hygiene just from passing around a hot can of soup. 
She was freaked out. She's like, oh God, so many diseases from this shared can. And now she's just like, yeah, let me, let me get that finger into that peanut butter. Ugh. As I've said, the, the consistency in this plot, it just, cha- everything changes. Characterizations change on a whim. She was a germaphobe, but now she doesn't care. And then she thinks, should I tell Caleb what Evelyn just told me? I don't want to make him think that he has erudite in his blood. That's not how blood works. The whole motto of the society is faction before blood. Like, blood isn't important. I don't know if he inherited eruditeness from his dad who left erudite to be in abnegation, just like I don't think you inherited dauntlessness from your mum who left dauntless to be in abnegation. It's all a crock of bullshit. And so she just doesn't tell Caleb. She doesn't drop the bombshell on him. She's like, no, nah, need to know basis, Caleb. And so Caleb tells her about Susan wanting to go to abnegation and he does as well, but he doesn't want to leave Triss, but he wants to make sure she's all right. He's been a bit wishy-washy and she's like, not really caring. She's like, yeah, do whatever you want. She says she has to go to Canda headquarters and find out what's going on. And Caleb's like, okay, cool. Well, I'll try and join you soon once I get Susan settled in the factionless, whatever the fuck, who cares? We're moving a lot of chess pieces here, but they're pawns. I'm not that interested in what Caleb's up to, I'm sorry. So then we cut to, they're at Canda headquarters. Like that was quick. I don't know how they got there. I don't know what the journey was like. I'm assuming they jumped on a train and then jumped off of a train, but I can't tell you for certain. So she says Canda headquarters is a wide cement building that used to be called Merchandise Mart. And now some people call it Merciless Mart because the Canda are merciless, but honest. I don't really know if that's catchy enough to be realistic. I can't see anyone saying Merciless Mart. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue. And I'm guessing it's just like a big abandoned Walmart or something. I'm not too sure. So then they walk inside the building and there's a lobby that's large and well lit with black marble floors that stretch back to an elevator bank. Okay, maybe it's not a Walmart. I don't know what the merchandise mart is, but apparently it's a big old building with marble floors and a big elevator bank. Maybe that's like an Easter egg to a real place in Chicago, but I don't know. If you know, let me know. But as they walk in, they see that the room is crawling with armed Dauntless. And a Dauntless soldier comes up to him and says, identify yourselves. And apparently again, another Dauntless that doesn't know them. I thought they were like quasi celebrities, but no, no one knows them. And she says the other Dauntless gather behind this soldier. Some of them eye us with suspicion, the rest with curiosity. No one knows them. (laughs) But she does think, Far stranger than both is the light I see in some of their eyes. Recognition? They might know Tobias, but how could they possibly recognize me? Bitch, photos. Photos. Like, what the fuck? (sighs) So Four's like, well, I'm Four and this is Triss. And the soldier freaks out. She's like, oh my God. And she's like, are you guys armed? And Four's like, yeah, I'm armed. I'm dauntless, aren't I? And she's like, stand with your heads behind your head. And Triss is thinking, why is everyone acting like we're about to attack them? She's so confused. You're wanted criminals. Like, I don't understand. Even if this is the 50% of Dauntless that, that aren't dodgy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. which I think they are, they're the 50% that are good, they're still going to be a little bit cautious. Primarily owing to the fact that half of their faction are traitors, so of course they wouldn't just trust two people waltzing in. She's acting personally offended. How dare they not trust us? Like, uh, 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 would you trust them? And Tobias is like, what's going on as they're confiscating their weapons? And the soldier says, I'm sorry but we were instructed to arrest you upon your arrival. And that's the end of the chapter. And why is that a cliffhanger? Like, yeah, no fucking shit. I can just imagine Veronica wrote that and she thought like, got him, that'll hook him. They'll be turning the next page in no time. Well, I don't know if we're all as slow as Triss and Four are. So we start chapter 11, they're being escorted somewhere. And she says, no matter how many times I ask why we are under arrest, no one says anything or even looks in my direction. Like, okay. Well, oh, just wait and someone will tell you. Like, seriously, like, I, I, I can't. So they go to this small room with no furniture except for a bench. So it's not really no furniture if, if there's a bench, but there's no furniture except for a bench. And it's like a holding room. She says all factions have a holding room to store people who are causing trouble, blah, blah. And so Tobias sits down and she starts pacing the room, just walking up and down, up and down, and she's pissing him off. She's thinking if Erudite didn't take over Kanda and Edward told us they didn't, okay, we're just, we're just trusting Edward, the one-eyed factionless guy. He apparently knows everything. We're, we're, no, no better source of information than Edward. And she thinks, why would the Kanda arrest us? What could we possibly have done to them? And then she thinks, well, if Erudite didn't take over, the only real crime left is siding with them. Could I have done something that would have been interpreted as siding with the Erudite? Well, I did shoot Will, she thinks. (laughs) And I did shoot a number of Dauntless, actually. (laughs) I love that it's taken her like minutes to figure that out. She was like, oh, well, yeah, I did shoot Will now that you think about it. And Tobias is like, oh, Triss, sit down. You're pissing me off. 
So she sits down, she hugs her knees to her chest and they just sit there in silence. And then he says, sometimes I worry that you don't trust me. And she says, yeah, I trust you. Why, why do you think I don't trust you? And he says, well, it seems like there's something you're not telling me. I've told you things I would never have told anyone else, but something's been going on with you and you haven't told me yet. And yeah, she killed Will. And she avoids the question. She just fobs him off being like, yeah, there's been a lot going on. And he says, well, if it's just about your parents, tell me and I'll believe you. And she's like, oh, should I tell him? Should I not tell him? And then she's just like, yep, that's all it is. I don't know why she can't just admit she killed Will. Okay, so then two candor people walk into the room. Uh, One is a dark-skinned, older candor man. Okay, all right. Uh, mm. And a dauntless woman she doesn't recognize. And then Jack Kang, a representative of candor. Okay, so three people, three people walk in. So she tells us Jack Kang is Candor's leader. He's pretty young as far as leaders go, except for Dauntless standards, obviously. Jack is handsome with short black hair and warm slanted eyes. Okay, all right. I'm feeling pretty uncomfortable by that. That's pretty fucked. I just don't, I just don't know if that would have been printed in 2022 or even 2021 or 2020 or I don't know if that would have been printed in the last 10 years but apparently when this book got published that that slipped in okay so Jack says they told me you seemed confused about why you were arrested to me that means either you're falsely accused or good at pretending okay and she's like well what are we accused of and he says well he is accused of crimes against humanity you are accused of being his accomplice. And Tobias is like, what? Crimes against humanity? I've never even played that game. And Triss is like, no, that's cards against humanity. They're talking about crimes against humanity. And Tobias is like, oh, well, I haven't done that either. And Jack says, we saw video footage of the attack. You were running the attack simulation. And okay, that doesn't make sense because... When the simulation started, he was walking around pretending to be a zombie just as Triss was. And then they went to abnegation and got captured by Janine. And then Janine hit him up with a serum that did work on him. And then they took him all the way back to Dauntless to the security room. And then he started controlling the simulation. So I don't really know if they can blame it on him. There's a few dots that they need to connect. And Tobias, instead of denying it, says, how could you have seen the footage? We took the data. Like, okay, not the best defense, Tobias. And Jack says, you took one copy of the data. All the footage of the Dauntless compound recorded during the attack was sent to other computers throughout the city. (laughs) It was sent to other computers. It's the cloud. They've been done over by the cloud and haven't we all? I feel like everyone I know has one story about the cloud fucking them over. And yep, you got fucked over by the cloud. Like, what did you think? Did you really think that everything was on that one hard drive that you guys took? Like, hello? I know it's post-apocalyptic, but it's still the digital age, guys. Get with it. It's not Y2K. And then Jack recaps the ending of Divergent, which is hilarious. He says, all we saw was you running the simulation and her nearly getting punched to death before she gave up. Then you stopped, had a rather abrupt lover's reconciliation and stole the hard drive together. Oh, the hard drive. One possible reason is because the simulation was over and you didn't want us to get our hands on it. Jack, Jack, does your back hurt? Because that was a stretch. And Triss is like, well, actually, the simulation didn't just end. We stopped it. But that whole monologue Jack just gave did remind me that she, (laughs) 
she like cut through his simulation serum by like wanting to kiss him or something. Wasn't that ridiculous? I feel like we all just accepted that and moved on with our lives, but, uh, but coming back to it doesn't quite make sense. And then Jack puts his hand up to stop her. He cuts her off and he says, I am not interested in what you have to say right now. The truth will come out when you are both interrogated under the influence of truth serum. Okay, if you're not interested in what they're saying, why are you in there interviewing them? Get out. Also, why do you need truth serum? You can't. Shouldn't you be able to tell if they're lying? Apparently, Christine is a walking lie detector. So I don't know why you can't apply the same skill set. But speaking of Christina, she did once tell Tris about the truth serum. Apparently that's how they pass initiation. They take a truth serum and they just have to answer questions like big fucking whoop. Although it is in front of lots of people. So they do end up sharing a lot of their deepest, darkest secrets. Oh boy. And Tris is immediately like, nah, no way. And he's like, well, you've got something to hide then. And she's thinking, yeah, the fact that I killed Will and I just lied to my boyfriend about it. Of course I got something to hide. Oh, and also (laughs) being divergent, all of that. But at this point, I, I would have thought everyone knew she was divergent. Worst kept secret in town. It's written all over billboards. And Jack says, all right then, well, it's noon now. The interrogation will be at seven. Why? Why are we got to wait seven hours? Just do it now. What do we need? Pomp and ceremony? Just shoot them up and ask them some questions. Like, oh God, why are we just prolonging the inevitable? And also, do they have normal lie detectors just like downstairs in the basement? Like, just go back to the old school way. I don't know why we have to be shooting up serum into people's necks at every opportunity. So then we've got seven hours to wait. Seven hours. How ridiculous. What purpose? Halfway through the day, she needs to pay. So the Dauntless escort her to a bathroom. She takes her time. She says, okay. And then she's looking in the mirror, which is a luxury because she could never used to do that as a kid. Uh, and that's all. We, we get a whole whole three paragraphs of her going to the toilet, then washing her hands and looking in the mirror. Not a lot going on. Let's just say that. Then she goes back to join Tobias in the room. Like, why did we just get a story about her going to the toilet? Like, come on. I know people go to the toilet, but I don't need to hear about it. It's like on the show 24, everyone was always like, when does Jack Bauer ever eat or go to the toilet? Well, you know what? It's a TV show and we don't need to see Jack Bauer hanging a slash. We don't need to see it. We can suspend disbelief. I don't need to hear about her going to the toilet. A group of armed dauntless escorted me to the bathroom in the early afternoon. Like, oh God, I don't care. So you did a shit, big whoop. And then her and four are just eating lunch, eating lunch in silence. Like, oh God, how thrilling. Eventually Tobias says, well, what are you afraid of saying? And she says, any of it, all of it. I don't want to relive anything. And so then she just closes her eyes and pretends to sleep. So she's sitting there bored and anxious and then she falls asleep. Oh my God, we're we're just getting every little detail. And then the doors open and a few Dauntless walk in and guess what? One of them is Christina. What? So happy to see my home girl again. She says, Christina didn't look like I remembered. Her hair is shorter like a boy's. Okay. I thought Tris had short hair too, but maybe that's just the movie. I don't care. Her skin is grayish. Oh God. Her skin is grayish instead of a warm brown. Oh God. A lot of, a lot of descriptions of skin color in this book. Oh boy. And then she starts freaking out because Christina will be at the interrogation and she will hear what she did to Will. She will never forgive me. And then she thinks, unless I fight the serum, like, oh, bold idea. How'd she ever think of that one? Unless I fight the serum. We'll never get some clarity on what serum she can fight and what serum she can't. Because the happy juice worked on her 
really well, but now she thinks she can just overcome a truth serum. Why every faction has their own little separate niche serum? I'm not too sure. And Christina's like, I know you didn't do it. I know you're not a traitor. I asked to escort you once I heard you were here. And then Christina says, oh, um, probably not the best time to tell you, but, oh gosh, this is really sad. But, um, Will died in the attack. And Triss is like, oh, oh, did he? Oh, okay. Uh." And she's flapping about trying to find a response. And she says, oh, I know. I saw him on the monitors when I was in the control room. I'm sorry. And Christina says, oh, okay. Well, glad you already knew. I really didn't want to break the news to you in a hallway. And I'm thinking the Christina we know picked up on every nuance. She could pick up when someone was lying like straight away. And with that hesitation and shitty response Trist just gave, there's no way Christina believed her, right? Like no freaking way. Because she grew up in Canada, so she's a human lie detector, obviously. Meanwhile, she can feel Tobias staring at her because, hello, she never mentioned to him that she saw Will die and he didn't know that Will was dead. So he's probably thinking, you got some splaining to do, Tris. So they're in the elevator with Christina and some other Dauntless. And she says, don't worry about the truth serum. I went under when I was a kid. It's pretty commonplace. You don't even know what's happening until you wake up. And then the other Dauntless in the elevator give each other looks. And she narrates, in normal circumstances, someone would probably reprimand her for discussing her old faction. Oh, is that so? Is that so? Because as I've said, it's all they ever fucking talk about. It's all they ever talk about. So Triss asks about some of the others. And the real main twist is that Uriah's brother, Zeke, he's now gone with the other 50% of the Dauntless. (laughs) And Triss says, what? Zeke? who secured my straps on the zip line, a traitor. That's the one bit of detail she can give us so we know who Zeke is. Oh, the guy who secured your straps to the zip line, he's a traitor. Like, okay, random. Again, it's a very self-centered worldview to be like, oh my God, that guy's a traitor. He's also the guy who secured my straps on the zip line. Like, yeah, he's a lot of things. I don't know why it has to relate back to you at all. So they get to some other room inside of the merciless mart, which must be like the courtroom or some bullshit. She sees a bunch of Dauntless, a bunch of canned people. There's Jack Kang in the front row. And then she says an old dark skinned man steps forward, a black box in his hands. Okay, again with the skin. Like I'm all for the diversity in the book, but it's, it's a bit indelicate the way it's being brought up, right? Like, or is it just me? Maybe I'm just being like, oversensitive, like woke millennial or whatever, but I don't know. I don't feel comfortable. And so he says, my name is Miles. I'll be your questioner. Tobias, you're up first. And so he pulls out two needles and he also takes out an antiseptic wipe from his pocket and offers it to Tobias. And he says, the injection site is in your neck. And so Tobias starts rubbing the antiseptic wipe on his neck. And so then she thinks, oh, We didn't bother with that kind of thing in Dauntless. They didn't bother with the antiseptic wipes. Oh, but you're you're worried about a can of soup. You're worried about dipping your spoon in soup that's been eaten by other people. But needles, oh yeah, who cares? Shoot me up bareback, raw dog it. No wipe needed. And so we end the chapter with Tobias getting shot up with the needle. 
And then she says, the last time I saw someone inject Tobias with something, it was Janine putting him under a new simulation, one that was effective even on the Divergent, or so she believed. Like, okay, thank you. Thank you for the previously on. (laughs) Clearly they're going to be able to overcome this serum, right? Like that's just the hint she's dropping us at the end of that chapter. I mean, you could call it foreshadowing, but you'd be generous. I think she's really showing a hand with that one, but that's how we end the chapter. So I'll see you guys next week for the big interrogation. Will this serum work on them or will the plot dictate that it doesn't work on them? Like who knows? Okay, bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.